You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. And I'm so thankful. You know, I, I never want to lose my thankfulness or my gratitude for my salvation. Never want to, and it's, and it's kind of easy to mentally say, oh, I'm grateful, but, but not to feel it, because sometimes it's just, you know, we hear it so often, and it's the central message of our life, and, and we can get used to it, and I just, I hope we never do get used to being saved, and, and for some of you, you remember what it's like to be lost in the world, and to be without Christ, and to have the hopelessness and despair and let's just never lose the wonder of what God did for us at salvation. Thank God for that. Second Samuel, please, in your Bibles. We're going to begin in chapter 4. Hey, I want to just talk for a minute about uh, some of the things we got coming up. And Roundup Sunday is always a fun time. And I know that all of you have a lot of Western clothes in your closet that you're just aching to wear. Uh, I, maybe, maybe not, but uh, you, know, you can maybe look up online. What is... What is Western? You know, in the collar, uh, a plaid shirt, uh, what are they called? Buffalo, buffalo check, something? I don't know. Whatever that is. And then, you know, uh, denim. If you got cowboy boots, Brother Anthony, I expect the cowboy boots, okay? And uh, we've got cowboy boots. Uh, I know some of you have them, all right? From the, from some of you have them for those days when you were in that band and you played accordion, you know? And uh, you, have, you have those boots still. I know you do. And so bring those. Uh, but uh, And then we're going to have a good time. We're going to have some food. We'll have some fellowship. We have a baking contest that day. And uh, I, I'm not going to tell my joke, teenagers. I, I had a joke, but it's not funny. I'm not going to say it. But we do have a baking contest. And uh, last year, I can't, I can't remember who won last year, but it was... Who, who was it that won, Brother Jeff? Do you remember Brother Jeff? Who was it? Was it me? I don't even remember. I didn't remember. It was me? Oh, that's, that's right. That's right. Oh, man. I'm just, I, 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 of course I remember. It was like the highlight of my year was winning the baking competition. I made banana pudding, and, uh, but I won't be entering this year, okay? So you got a chance now, okay? All right. But uh, there, that was my joke. I told the teenagers I was going to say that, so I did. But no, I'm looking forward to that. I, I don't want to enter because I want to be a judge this year. And my wife's in charge of it, so I'm gonna, I, I may have an inroad. I may be able to get a good word in and be a judge this year, okay? But uh, we'll have that. We'll have a good time. We're going to have, like Brother Josh said, the mechanical bull. And we're going to be trying to round up people, the strays during the summer, you know, getting everybody back in church. And uh, hopefully this, it's a big kickstart to our, uh, our September and our October, which are, are uh, really important days for us as far as for visitors and all that. <clears throat> in the month of September... There's a lot going on. We have five new, uh, brand new missionary families coming in in the month of uh, September. And we have a couple returning that we have already, that we already know and support. Our missionary to Ukraine, Derek Thomas, will be here next Sunday night. He'll be preaching. And uh, he's been in Ukraine with all this stuff going on. That's going to be a service you do not want to miss. And, uh, well, I, I believe every service you don't want to miss. But, uh, but uh, he'll be here next Sunday night preaching. And then in September, we've got new missionaries to a lot of different countries coming in. And that'll be a great time. Beast Feast, guys, uh, sorry, I'll have all of the information, every bit of the information out for you next Saturday. 
But plan on being there. It's for, uh, I I think we did teenagers on up. Well, I think we did younger than that because my son Silas came last year. And it's just a Friday night and Saturday morning. And there's tons of stuff going on. Brother Dan Carr is a pastor from Gulfport, Mississippi. And he's been there for 30-something years during Hurricane Katrina. It came through where he was and destroyed his entire church. And uh, they just rebuilt from the ground up. And he's, uh, he's been through it, and he's a great preacher, and uh, we'll have a great time there. And then in October, we've got, of course, Friend Day and uh, our, our Country Fair, which is an outreach during the Halloween season time to our community here. And so there's a lot going on. There's one more thing going on in a September as well, and I believe it's the 18th. I, I may have the date wrong, but <coughs> excuse me. we have a ministry Sunday coming up where we are starting and, and kicking off a lot of new ministries in our church, new opportunities to be involved. And not all of them are, you know, on the platform, you know, singing specials. There's, there's just work to be done in different ministries and outreach and inreach and all this kind of stuff and give you an opportunity to say, okay, I can use the gifts that God gave me because you're supposed to use them for the church and you, I can use them in this way or in this ministry. And so we're looking forward to getting uh, that as a ministry Sunday coming up in a September, and that's going to be an encouraging time. So uh, I, I, it's going to be helpful to our church as well. Many of you have been given gifts and talents to, that God gave you to use for Him, and right now you you may want to use them. And you don't you don't maybe know where you can use them, and we want to give you every opportunity to do that. So that's what's coming up. All right, that's all the announcements. Second Samuel chapter four. We do have the Lord's Supper after church today, so I I try not to be too lengthy when we have the Lord's table. But uh, <clears throat> I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter number 4. <clears throat> and we're going to look, uh, uh, I have a message this morning about a man that many of you have probably never heard of. Some, I know many, many of you have heard of him. His name is Mephibosheth. That's a mouthful. Mephibosheth. That's his name. We're going to look through the life of Mephibosheth. We're going to see a young man who becomes a man who went through quite a bit. And there is a time where he is just wronged. What's done to him is wrong. And I want to preach to you this morning as we're looking at these scriptures. I'm going to tell you the title now. I want to preach to you about what to do when you're wronged. What to do when you are wronged. When someone wrongs you, when something happens that uh, and, and is unjust... It's unfair. It's unkind. What do you do? Look, if you would, at 2 Samuel chapter number 4. We're going to see what we can learn about this young man and what, what he did when he was wronged and what we should do. The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 4, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. Lame means crippled. He was five years old, When the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So there was an accident. Up until five years of age, this young boy was perfectly healthy, running and jumping and playing and laughing and all that. He was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, grandson of Saul. You know, and his, his grandfather was king of the nation. He had a good life. And then all of a sudden, 
The tidings come that his dad is killed and his grandfather is killed. He's five years old when he gets that news. Couldn't fully process and understand it, I'm sure. His nurse takes him up after hearing the news and fearing for her life and fearing that who, who killed Saul and who killed Jonathan would want to exterminate the entire royal line. And so she's fearful of that because Mephibosheth would have been in line to be king. And so she takes him and begins to run and flee. And at some point, in some way, she falls and the baby falls in a certain way that, it's, that his feet are crippled and, and lame from that point. Broken, I don't know, uh, maybe they healed wrong, but, but for the rest of his life, that's what happened to him. But that really wasn't the wrong I'm even talking about. We're going to see more wrong that's done to him. And then we're going to find out, what do you do when you're wrong? Let's pray together. Father, <clears throat> pray, uh, I pray you'd help us today. I pray that you'd give us wisdom when we look at the Word of God to apply it to our lives because I know that there will be people here today that maybe, this, maybe the message would apply to them so much, but if, we, but if we're not paying attention, we're not listening, it is so easy to let it just slip right by. Help us to grab hold of the truth this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't mean to be discouraging to you, but you, everyone in here will be wronged. Everyone in here has been wronged at some point. In other words, something was done to you that maybe you did not deserve. It was unfair. It was unjust. Uh, and, and, you know, it was done to you in that way. We know that life has peaks and valleys. There's great moments of life, and there's low moments in life. Yesterday, my wife and I got to go to, and I got to officiate the wedding for one of the young ladies that grew up in our teen department, Rickland Cook, <clears throat> got married yesterday in San, San Pedro. And I don't know why people call it San Pedro. Anybody ever wonder that? Does anybody, who calls it San Pedro? Is it just me or is it okay? Most people do, right? Shouldn't it be San, anyway, I'm not even going to say it because you're going to make fun of me. But anyway, so we'll go over there. And, and, you know, it was such a beautiful wedding and, and to get to see people that, that came through our youth department and our church and, and getting, oh, it was just such a beautiful wedding, a wonderful time. It was a mountaintop, right? I mean, marriage, that's like, you know, your wedding is one of those peaks you look back to, but you know what? Every one of us has those mountaintops, but every one of us has some valleys, too, where somebody did us wrong. Some, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody said something that was unkind or unfair. We got treated unjustly in some manner or shape or form. Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, then said he to his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, it is impossible. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. So even though offenses come to you, God says, we, you know, don't worry. There's, there's something coming to the person that did it as well. Now, we have to be careful that we're not the ones wronging others either. But today, I just want to focus more on what do you do when you are wronged? So I want, to, I want us to look through <clears throat> the life of Mephibosheth and see some things about him. I want you to see from this passage, first of all, an unfortunate beginning. An unfortunate beginning. I mean, you look at this young man lamed his feet uh, and maimed in some way at five years of age, and now for the rest of his life, he's handicapped. For the rest of his life, you know, and this was a long time ago. You, you know, I, I don't, I'm not imagining they had wheelchairs. You know, did he, did he have to make, have some makeshift crutches? How did he get around? Was he care? I don't know how it, was all, how it all went down, but I know he had a hard life. I know he was handicapped. He had a rough start. No more running and jumping like he did when he was a kid. 
And look, the wrong that was done to him, it may have been done by someone that did not mean to do the harm, but the harm was still done. And I find that a lot of people in life have been wronged by someone, and maybe that person doesn't even know they wronged you. Maybe they did not mean to. Maybe it was not in their intent. It could have been a family member, a parent, a, a church member even. But at some point, you were wrong. Something was done, and it was wrong. You know what I hate about the devil, which is everything, basically? But you know what I hate especially? That he doesn't fight fair. He has no morals. He goes after children. He, he, you know, at least in wartime, you know, in, in some capacity, there's, there's a bit of morality in that we're not just going to go murder all the children. I mean, most people, I, so, so, I know some people do that, some nations and all that, but the devil, he goes after the children. And, and here he is, and, and we have to be careful. It's so sad to see the damage done to young people in the beginning of their lives. It's so sad to, to hear what the damage that's being done to our young people in the public school system. It's so sad to see the damage that's being done to people in homes across this nation where, where uh, there's abuse and all of this stuff going on. And what happens to us as kids certainly affects us still as adults. You can, you can live with the scars and wounds of childhood for the rest of your life. Now, I don't, think you I don't think you necessarily have to. I think there's, that you can find help and hope in Jesus Christ. But some of those scars are still there. They still happen. And so there's an unfortunate beginning here for Mephibosheth. Go to chapter 9, if you would, please. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. I want you to see here that there's not only an unfortunate beginning, but then we see an undeserved blessing. An undeserved blessing. <clears throat> Look at chapter 9 of uh, 2 Samuel. So Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, David has ascended the throne, he's been king for a little bit here. In verse 1, and David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? You remember all the kindness that Saul showed David, right? Yeah, right. Why, so why did he do this? For Jonathan's sake. He was... But, but notice that David was looking for ways to show kindness. That's, that's a great example for us, by the way. Two people that wronged him. Two people that wronged him. Okay? And he said, is there yet any of the house of, left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a, as a house of Saul, a servant whose name was Ziba. Now, you need to remember this person, Ziba. Okay? And Because uh, <clears throat> we're going to see him later. And when they had called him unto David, uh, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. So yes. And the, and the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? So David wasn't just showing kindness. He's saying, I want to I give you a living illustration of God's kindness. Showing kindness to people that didn't deserve it and to people that wronged him. That's the kindness of God. And he said, is there anybody like that? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. 
and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, what, what is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Remember, David said those same words. It's the humility factor. And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and <clears throat> thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. He said, look, everything that Saul forfeited when he died, everything that was gone that was taken from him, I'm giving it all back, everything he had. I'm giving it back to Mephibosheth. And Ziba, I want you and your 15 sons and your 20 servants to go and take care of the land and provide food for Mephibosheth. But look at this. Then he says this, but, in verse 10, Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. Ziba said unto the king, according to all the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. Out of the blue, he's had this hard life. He's watched his father and his grandfather. He, he, they, they have been murdered. They've been killed. He gets the fall where he, his, he's got crippled uh, feet now. And out of the blue of a hard life, he gets a phone call. Maybe not literally a phone call. But he gets, he, gets the, he gets the message that the hard life he's lived is about to get easier. Out of the blue. Do you remember the first time you found, like, money on the ground? It's like an undeserved blessing. I remember when I found one time a briefcase full of money and white substance. I don't know what it was. And found it at Brother Slater's house. And... Uh, didn't know what to think of it. I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I remember I was a kid and I was walking through a parking lot. Uh, and I remember clearly it was in Vilsic, Germany. I was on a military base there with my family. And, uh, and I was walking through the parking lot. There was no cars around. I looked down, there was a $10 bill. I felt like as a 10 year old, like I had hit the lottery. $10. $10 now doesn't even get you two gallons of gas. Probably doesn't even get you a happy meal, you know, but, but back in 1994, I was like, $10? Man, you know, that was, that was a fortune for me. And it was like, this was just undeserved, unexpected blessing. You know, if we paid attention more in life, we would see that God is always bringing unexpected blessings our way. Now, we're expecting the lottery, the winning lottery ticket to fall on our windshield. But that's not going to happen. But you know what God does all the time? Little things. Just little notes to say, hey, just want to remind you I love you. All the time he's doing those things. When I, when I was dating my wife, and, and even still to this day, we, we do little things for each other just to communicate that, hey, I love you. Just small things. But we got to have our ears open to that, to what God wants to say to us. It was an undeserved blessing. David now says, Mephibosheth, come to my table. You know, well, let's get you to the palace, and I'm going to treat you like one of my own sons. That's incredible. Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve that kindness. It's amazing to me how when all hope seems lost, God can just send hope out of the blue. He can just give you a blessing, even though we have done nothing to deserve it. We're sinners saved by grace, God's grace. I want you to look at chapter 11, just right across the page there. 
Mephibosheth had an unfortunate beginning. We saw an undeserved blessing. But then, you know what comes next in Mephibosheth's life? An unexpected trial. An unexpected trial. You can glance through chapter 11, but I'll just, I'll just tell you what it is. That's David's sin with Bathsheba. That's David's sin with Bathsheba. He, here's, you know, this is, I think, uh, I, I, I can't remember how many years have passed since he invited Mephibosheth to his table, but I do know a timetable I'll tell you in just a minute here. But David commits a sin with Bathsheba, has a baby with another man's wife who he kills basically by sending him to battle and uh, and he gets killed in battle. All of this kind of stuff happens. The baby dies through, uh, uh, right after birth and and then, uh, you know, David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. All this is happening. People are watching. People see it. I think it's uh, 14 years later, David's son Absalom decides to rebel against his dad. And David's son Absalom comes up and and he takes away, he steals the hearts of the people of the kingdom away from David and he kicks David out and he's trying to murder his own father. Mephibosheth is still in Jerusalem at this time. But look if you would at chapter number 16. Chapter number 16. Here's Mephibosheth and his master, his king is being kicked out. Now there's this unexpected trial. Trials are usually unexpected. You don't normally see them coming. You don't normally see the hard times coming. When I went to college, every single class that I went to, when I started the class, they would give you a syllabus. And the syllabus was a fancy word that I did not have any idea what it meant until I went to college. And uh, basically, it's here's what you're going to have to deal with this year. Here's when your papers are due. Here's the expectations. Here's when this happens. Here's when this happens. Here's, you know, here's how long uh, this part of class will last and things of that nature. But you know what? We don't really get a syllabus for life, do we? We don't get to know when the trial will come and how long it will last for. We don't, we, it, it's always unexpected. It was, it was three years after joining David that David sinned with Bathsheba. And it was 14 years later that Absalom rebels and usurps the throne. So for 17 years, Mephibosheth is enjoying sitting at the king's table with David. Treated like a son. And now he's afraid for his life. Absalom has taken over. He doesn't know if Absalom will kill him or not. It was stressful. It was a tenuous situation. And I cannot imagine waking up every day and wondering if that was going to be the day that I lived or died. Am I going to get murdered today? Am I going to get executed? But that's what Mephibosheth was facing. Now, here, uh, here's what I want you to see, and we're going to get to some very practical thoughts in a second. Not only did he have an unfortunate beginning, and he saw the undeserved blessing, then came an unexpected trial, but I want you to see also some unfair treatment. Unfair treatment. Look at 2 Samuel 16, verse 1. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, what hill? What are we talking about? He's on the run for his life, David is. Absalom is chasing him to kill him. Behold, Ziba, here's Ziba again, the servant of Mephibosheth met him and a couple of asses saddled, and upon them 200 loaves of bread and 100 bunches of raisins and 100 of summer fruits and a bottle of wine. So he's, he's coming with some goods to give David and replenish and, and encourage him. And the king said unto Ziba, what meanest thou by these? Now that's an interesting question. He's bringing him supplies and he's like, what do you mean by this? So David was already a little skeptical. 
And, and Ziba said, the asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such be as faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, and where is thy master's son? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he's talking about Mephibosheth, he abideth at Jerusalem, for he said, today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. So what Ziba is saying is that, hey, we were in Jerusalem, David, and when we heard you had to flee for your life, we told Mephibosheth, hey, we got to get. And Mephibosheth said, oh, no, this is the day I've been waiting for. This is the day the kingdom is restored back to my family. But it was a lie. Verse 4. Then said the king to Ziba, here's David, he's just received all this refreshment. He's on the run from his life, and he say, hey, where's your master son? Where's Mephibosheth? So he cared about him. And he said, where is he? And he said, oh, king, we tried to get him, but he, man, he's, he's against you. Verse 4, then said the king to Ziba, behold, thine are all that pertain to Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. He's lying. And I'll show you that in a minute. But he, he's saying basically, what David acts hastily here, and I believe David regrets it later. And I can show you some verses where I think that, that shows through. But David says, okay, everything I gave to Mephibosheth, I give it to you, Ziba. Right on the spot. Let's look, if you would, at the next part here, chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. Stay with me, we're getting to the, we're getting to the practical things right after this here. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 19. This is after David wins the battle, after Absalom uh, is killed by Joab, even though David did not want him to die. David is coming back to the kingdom now, and David is walking through, th throwing out mercy like he's Oprah. I mean, he is walking out, you get some mercy, you get some mercy, you get some mercy. I mean, he is, he is just showing mercy. Shimei, the guy that comes out and cursed him? I mean, he's like, let's just spare him. I mean, he's showing mercy. So he is in a merciful mindset, and he comes back to his kingdom, and guess who's there? Mephibosheth is there. Look, if you would, at chapter 19, verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. But look at this. And had neither dressed his feet, hadn't, hadn't clipped the toenails, Hadn't cleaned them, taken a bath, anything. You know, he's just hasn't he, uh, and, and nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day when he came again in peace. You think if he was really like just so glad that David was gone that, that he would have done that? No, he would have been excited. By the way, it made no sense what Ziba said because even if Absalom took over, it does. It, Absalom was not related to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth's family would not have been ascending to the throne, and it made no sense what he said, but David didn't catch it. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king, but my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? 
And the king said unto him, Why speak thou any more of thy matters? I think that was the conviction right there. When Mephibosheth is like, I don't even deserve your mercy. You, you saved my family? You let me be at your table? And David said, oh, let's not talk anymore about this. I think David felt bad. Because look what he does. Why, why speak so? I have said thou and Ziba divide the land. So now he goes back to the original covenant, the original arrangement, where he says, hey, you know, you get the land and Ziba gets to do this sort of thing. Mephibosheth said unto the king, yea, let him take all. For as much as my lord the king has come again in peace into his own house. Wow. Here's the thing about Mephibosheth. He is being wronged by someone so close to him. Ziba. It was unfair. In verse 26 tells us he was deceived. Ziba said, hey, I'm going to go get you a, 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 a horse, okay? All right, so we can get out of here. And he takes off. And he leaves them. He probably didn't want to have to deal with them. So he goes to David. Oh, yeah, Mephibosheth, yeah. You ever have anybody lie about you? Ever have anybody spread some falsehood about you and you thought they were your friend? You thought you were close because I don't know you're related? Your blood? You ever have somebody, you ever have somebody at church that you thought, man, they should know better and they're a Christian, but yet they did something? They deceived, they slandered you behind your back? Look, I'm not naive enough to believe that nobody slanders me. Nobody talks bad about me because everyone loves me. I know the majority of people here like me. <laughs> no, I believe you love me. I feel that love. My wife and I do so very often, but I know there are people that slander and talk about the message and, and, you know, accuse me of being this or that or this or that. I understand that. I know also that it kind of comes with the territory of being a Christian and being a pastor too. But we've all been wrong. We've all been wronged and slandered in some way or some form. What does he do? I think David acted hastily. I think he just believed that servant and regretted it because he was on the run and he had to make quick decisions. <clears throat> and he said, okay, that's it. So here's the thing. Here's what I want to get to. Here's this guy who, man, he was wrong, that, he was wrong when he was five years old. It was, it was unjust, unfair in human standards. Now he's got somebody else lying and slandering him. What does he do? He does three things that you and I must do if we get wronged, when we get wronged, okay? I want you to look at it. It's all in chapter 19 right here. Look, if you would, at verse 27 again. He said, he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king, David, you are as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? He said, look, you've already done so far above what I could ever even ask of you. How do I dare even ask anything? He doesn't justify his cause. He doesn't stick up for himself. You know what he does? He recognizes the mercy that has already been shown to him. And I want to tell you today that if you've been wronged and something has happened to you, guess what? Join the club because Jesus was wronged and Jesus was crucified unjustly too. But you have to recognize the mercy that has been shown to you. Recognize it. Because here's what we think. We think we deserve some things. Now look, there are some times... You know, in relationships, it, people let themselves get uh, treated wrong and they stay and they deal with things because they think they don't deserve better. And we do deserve better in that sense. But spiritually, we don't deserve better. Spiritually, when it comes to punishment, we, don't, we deserve hell. 
But Jesus showed mercy, undeserved mercy, just like uh, David showed undeserved mercy to, uh, uh, to Mephibosheth. Man, God has shown us so much mercy. And if you're going to handle the things of life that come to you when the life gets tough and when you're wronged, you better recognize the mercy that's already been given to you by God. Maybe they didn't show mercy, but God did. I told the story before about Napoleon Bonaparte. A mother came to Napoleon and, and she was asking for Napoleon to pardon her son. Napoleon replied, hey, this, your son has committed the same offense twice and it's worthy of death. <clears throat> the mother said, I don't, see, I don't ask for justice. I understand what the law says. I'm not asking for justice, I'm asking for mercy. Napoleon looked at her and he said, Ma'am, <clears throat> your son does not deserve mercy. And the woman said, Sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And all I'm seeking for is mercy. He spared him. He spared that son because of mercy. You, you and I, we don't deserve God's mercy, but he gave it to us. And so, look, I, I understand, we all get wrong, things happen, we're slandered, we're deceived by somebody that we thought we could trust. There's something that happens, but you know what? When that happens, before you get down in the mouth, and before you get under the covers, and, and, and just live depressed and all of that, and, and get angry and bitter and vengeful, just remember that you treated God worse than anybody's ever treated you. And God showed mercy. Bask! in the glory of the mercy and grace of God. If you want to get through how you deal with being wronged, recognize the mercy already bestowed upon you. I want you to see the second thing that he does. Look at verse 27. What does Mephibosheth do when the slander comes to light? Verse 27. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king, but my Lord the King is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. You know what he does right there? You know what we have to do when something happens to us? Not only did he recognize that David had already, the king had already been so merciful, and we need to recognize that our king has already been so merciful and given us so much more than we could ever deserve. But here's what he did there. At the last verse, he says, do, ther do therefore what is good in thine eyes. You know what he did? He put the matter in the hands of the king. He put the matter in the hands of the king. What do we do when we're wronged? When something happens, you know what you have to do? You have to give it to the king. You got to put it in God's hands. You got to say, God, you handle the matter as you see fit. Now, hold on. Let's just time out for one second here. If there's a brother or sister in Christ that offends you, that hurts you, Matthew 18 tells you what you're supposed to do. You go after them with a gun. No, you don't do that. What do you do if a brother or sister offends you? You duel, right? You go back to back, three, three paces. No, you, you go to that brother or sister and you confront them in a love and say, look, you said this. I heard that you said this behind my back. I just want to get our relationship right. I'm not coming here to slap you around. I'm not coming here. I, I want us to be right. And if you have, by the way, if you have something against somebody in our church and you have not one-on-one -on -one confronted them, you have not done the biblical thing. 
Now look, if you can forgive it and, and you don't need to uh, address it, then just forgive it and let, and let love pass over the transgression you know, and just sweep it, uh, not sweep it on the rug, but, but deal with it with God and forgive in your heart and you can move on, that's great. But if you can't, then you are required biblically to go to that person. You're not even required to come to me first. You're not required to go to anybody else first. You go to that person. And then if that person's like, I didn't do anything wrong, I don't care what I said, then you can come to church authority. That's within the church. But what about when you're wronged by somebody that's unsaved? What about when you've been wronged by somebody that's already dead? What about when you've been wronged by the boss at work where you knew that you deserved that promotion and you were in line for it and it was coming, but they said, oh, I'm going to give it to this person instead. What do you do when the wrong thing happens to you and it's not a church setting and so there's no, you know what you do? You take it, you give it to God. And you say, God, if I address this situation, I'm going to mess it all up. It's in your hands. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. We are supposed to deal with that person. But when you can't, you go, you, you go and you take it to God. That's what you do. There are things, look, my wife and I were talking earlier and I said, you know, I'm, sometimes when you're, when you're talking about illustrations and things and messages like there's lingo when you're using, uh, when you're used to teaching lessons and stuff. And, uh, and, and you know what an illustration is, I've told you before, I just gave you an illustration. But, but uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, sometimes I just feel like my messages need more illustrations. And I need some illustrations. And she said, well, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on what to do when you're wronged. I, you know, the message is done, but I just felt like, do I need another story or something? And she said, well, um, probably most of the stuff that's happened to you that's wrong has happened to you here in the last 16 years. You can't share those stories. I'm like, you're right, but I'm gonna. No, I'm kidding, I'm not. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, sometimes... Think about it. Like, who is it that usually hurts us? Look, I don't care what, I'm trying to think of a famous actor. I don't care what Tom Cruise or somebody like that says about Christianity. You know, he's a, a Scientologist. Or I don't care. Like, it doesn't affect me personally. But if you say something, if you go online and criticize, I may be fine out here and never show you a thing, but inside it's going to hurt. And you know it's true. You have a family member, you have someone close to you, someone you thought you could trust, and oh, this happened. What do you do with that? Sometimes you have to address it. I get that. But even after you address it, you know what you got to do? You got to give it to God. Put it in the hands of the king. I wonder today what God is just waiting for you to give him. Give it. Give it to me. Stop carrying that burden. Take my burden. It's, it, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let me bear that burden for you. And we're like, no, I like my burden. I want to show you the last thing that Mephibosheth did. Verse 30. So he, he recognized the mercy already bestowed upon him. He put the matter in the hands of the king. But I want you to see verse 30. Mephibosheth said unto the king, yea, let him take all. David said, okay, I, I, you know, I'm going to give you back what we, what we originally agreed with. And, and I'm going to give you these lands and this... And this and Mephibosheth says, no, 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 just let him take all for as much as my Lord the king is coming in in peace into his own house. He said, I, I don't need the lands. I don't need all that stuff. What did he do? He let it go. He let it go. I, I, I'm not holding on to the lands. I'm not holding on to this stuff. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let it go. Why? He said, 
Because the king's back. I'm in the house again. What more do I need? Look, do you have Jesus today or not? If you do, let some things go. Why? Because you got Jesus. That's good enough. What else do you need? We're going to hold on to this. And, and look, even, even though Mephibosheth was treated unjustly, unfairly, unkindly, he did not seek vengeance against Ziba. Do you see the passage where he's like, David, I have but one request. Uh, would you kill Ziba? No, he doesn't do anything. He, he doesn't even defend himself. He says, King, you're back. I'm with you. And if I'm with you, it's all good. It's all good. What do you do? You've placed it in the king's hands. You've remembered the mercy. You've dealt with it the best that you can. But now you've got to let it go. You've put it in God's hands. Don't take it back. Don't say, I can handle this better. Maybe you had an unfortunate beginning. Maybe something happened young in life. Maybe somebody at church wronged you. Maybe someone you trusted lied about you. Maybe some injustice or un something unfair has happened to you. And you've done all that you can to, to, to remedy it. But maybe that person's not even around anymore. But can I tell you something? As long as you carry that and as long as you don't let it go, it's still going to hurt you. It's still going to damage you. And Jesus the entire time is saying, cast your care upon me for I care for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. So today I wonder, which of these is God saying that's you? Maybe for some, you have wronged someone. Hey, let's go to that person and say, I did wrong. Forgive me. I want to share this with you and I'm done. I see something else from the story of Mephibosheth that's amazing. I see Jesus. I see Jesus. Think with me for a second. It's such a beautiful picture of salvation. Just as Mephibosheth was crippled from a fall, the entire human race has been crippled by the fall of sin. From the moment Adam sinned, We've all, there's, it's the fallen nature of man. We've all been, we've all fallen. But just as Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve the grace and mercy of the king, Jesus Christ came to this earth and extended his grace and mercy to us for salvation and says, I want you to come to my house. I want you to sit at my table. In fact, I'm preparing a, a supper for the marriage when we get to heaven. And I want you to sit at my table, and I'm going to treat you just like you're my own son. Beautiful picture of salvation. And he, Mephibosheth did not deserve it, yet he was invited. We do not deserve it, yet we're invited. There may be unexpected trials and unfair treatment, but friends, in the end, we get to live with the king. We get to live with Jesus. Mephibosheth was slandered. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, constantly slandering us. But you know what Jesus was slandered to? We're all like Mephibosheth in that way, crippled from a fall, powerless to save ourselves. But it's King Jesus that reaches down and is willing to save you today if you'd be willing to ask. If you don't know Christ as Savior, he's willing to forgive you, he's willing to cleanse you, he's willing to make you whole. And in the end, the story ends right. All wrongs are made right when we get to heaven and we sit with the king as his own sons and daughters. I wonder today, maybe something has happened in your life. Is God speaking to you? You've been wrong. Remember the mercy that God has shown you. 
Put, put it all in God's hands and then leave it there and let it go and go on and live for God. Why? Because you get Jesus. You get the king. So let the rest go. Our Father, I pray today you'd help us as we, as we deal with this, Lord. It's a sad thing to admit that in this life there will be offenses, there will be hurts, there will be trauma, there will be sadness, there will be wounds, there will be scars, and it's not encouraging to think about. But God, I'm thankful.